Did you record any voice memos this week? No. (laughs) (laughs) Did you? No. Do you reckon that's a predictor of how much writing we got done? Yep. (laughs) Welcome to Going Pros, a podcast where we scientifically evaluate whether or not NaNoWriMo is going to be our supervillain origin story. I'm CZ Tax, I'm a sci-fi and fantasy writer, and I am still trying to figure out what the heck is going on over at Goodreads. <laughs> and I am Aidy Ellicott, I'm a romance and fantasy writer who didn't get any Goodreads Choice Awards for romance or fantasy or romanticy on account of not writing any books. <laughs> well, we're here to change that. We made it to week three. Yes. Theoretically, three quarters of the way through. and (laughs) (laughs) Look, every year I do NaNoWriMo and every year I'm like, yeah, this year I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to have a buffer. I'm going to do big word counts early on so I can relax later in the month. And I never, ever do. But I still lie to myself every single November without fail. So we are most of the way through the month and Mm -hmm. I've not yet crossed the halfway mark of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, The first bit of advice from the week three chapter of No Plot, No Problem is to lose any accumulated word debt and use this week to get out of the 20,000 into like the 30,000s for word count. Um, I've yet to get into the 20,000s. Yeah, look, I am in the 20,000s, but I have not cleared them. Uh, I am not yet halfway. I am probably about 47% of the way through at best, at absolute best, if I'm very kind about what I count as word count. And I like your very precise 47%. It's possible that I looked and uh, was sad about it. Uh, but look, take a deep breath. Take several deep breaths. Uh, <laughs> we can do this. I have one NaNoWriMo while starting from further behind than this. It is not advisable, but it is possible to write the whole 50,000 words in the last couple days. Were you working full time at the time? I was actually, although I will admit that my current job is definitely way more cognitively demanding than the job I had at that time. And it's also way more time consuming and way less predictable in terms of starting and stopping hours. And may have been what prompted you to write Hive. I can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, this is the chapter where the book advises that... You can novel on company time as long as no one sees you do it. Wow. It must be nice to have a job where that's possible. Because, like, I don't know about you, Addie, but I, for one, work when I'm at work. Mm. Like, I know this is a revolutionary concept (laughs) that my job pays me money and expects me to produce certain results. Yeah. uh, As a result of paying me that money. Uh, But, you know, maybe I'm just weird. No, I, I also find this advice doesn't work ethically for me. Um, but also practically, I, yeah. I am the kind of person, like many, who, who has to actually do the singing for my supper. Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, God, I just, I must be, I mean, you would think like working from home would let me do this, but ultimately my brain just doesn't like doing mm. non-work things during work yeah, time. Same. I just, I, the one time I tried this, not at my current job, it was like a couple of jobs ago, I ended up just sitting there staring at a blank page and then gave up and went back to doing work tasks. Yeah. It was like not helpful. All right. So if writing on work time doesn't work, what did you do when you had like your historic win from behind? What's your tips? Share your magic, please. 
So uh, first of all, it wasn't that historic because I've done this several times. Uh, I am a constant last minute finisher. Um, but getting up and writing first thing in the morning, writing in your lunch breaks, going to write-ins for the added social pressure, using tools like Focusmate to body double if you're the kind of person who finds that helpful, using tools like Cold Turkey to block all of the websites that you're wasting time on if you're the kind of person who finds that helpful, and then also sacrificing a two-headed calf upon a stone altar under the light of an accursed moon. Unfortunately, I don't think there's any accursed moons happening in the remainder of November. No. So I'm just going to have to do the rest of that. Yeah. I mean, if you sacrifice a two-headed calf upon a stone altar under a normal moon, it will probably still work. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll yeah. see how we'll desperate see how it I get. Goes. The second bit of advice for this chapter is just to let your momentum carry you. I didn't find this particularly useful or implementable advice, mm. though possibly because I am at the wrong stage of my story. So am I right in thinking you're about like a third of the way in, sort of end of act one-ish? Right. So what often happens here is that you're switching from your setup and your foreshadowing and your introducing characters to actually like kicking up the pace and diving into the plot. So your brain has to change gears to do that. And that takes your brain a bit to actually do. Like it takes cognitive effort to switch modes from setup to plot going forward time but once you get past that hurdle it is much smoother sailing until you get to the end of act two at which point you switch from moving the plot forward to wrapping things up and resolving your plot threads and having emotional arcs come to a satisfying conclusion and you go through the exact same thing in the opposite direction so you really you just i've got all this to look forward to yeah exactly it's listen put it this way just do exactly what you've done up until now twice but faster Okay. That's helpful advice, right? That's not going to stress you out at all. Not at all. Okay. Because I have to do the same thing I've already done twice. Yes. In a third of the time. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I don't understand why that's not motivating you. Yeah. (laughs) Not at all intimidating. Um, Mm -hmm. The next bit of advice I I actually do think is useful, Mm. which is to write the key scenes you need to get through your plot only the scenes that move the story forward. Yes. Um, so this is meant to help the people who are struggling to wrap up the story in the allotted sort of time. Mm. If you're around 25k and you don't feel like you've hit the middle of the story yet, this is who the advice is aimed yeah. at. Uh, but I actually think it's helpful at any stage in the story. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this on a previous episode and I know I've given this advice to approximately fucking everyone who comes to me with this kind of problem, but like... One of the things that you can do for yourself that's really helpful is just keep your forward momentum. So if you're getting bogged down on a part or you're bored or you don't know what should happen or you you have to like sit and think and figure it out before you can move forward, just open square brackets, write, figure this out later, close square brackets and move on to the next scene. Uh, It's a magic trick. It works great. And then you unfortunately do have to go back later and figure it out. But this is not the figuring it out stage. This is the get to the end of November Mm. intact phase. That is next month's problem. Yes, that's a December problem. Exactly. Maybe even January. Maybe. The other sort of topic that is tackled in this chapter is how do you handle the attack of your support network? People have become sick of not seeing you and they want to drag you away from your novel. How did you handle that? So I have a a gentleman caller who's currently residing in a time zone that's about 18 hours behind us. And he declared that he was going to meet or exceed my daily word count because he is also a writer and he is also doing NaNoWriMo. 
And that was his mistake. <laughs> so you were not so much attacked by your support network as you were the attacking support network. Best defense is a good offense, baby. Uh, unfortunately, he did cry for mercy when I hit 3,000 words on the second day of this. And unfortunately, that means I no longer have the shot of purified motivation that's saying challenge accepted provided to me. So I have not been very productive since then. How did your support network attack you? Did they? <laughs> they did. They very much did. Well, mm. So my support network, I think probably it's easiest to say they lovingly absorbed me into their embrace like a creature from Clom. <laughs> uh, so a big drag on my word count mm-hmm. this week was going to interstate for a family thing. And it was important and I was very happy to do it and glad I did. But it was not so good for the Rhymo. We obviously talked a little bit about this off mic because we are friends in real life as well as on the podcast. But like you had a really long drive to get there. Then you did a lot of hardcore, hardcore socializing. And then you had a very long drive home and you didn't even get to take your precious dog with you. And I know this because I babysat your precious dog and it was great for me, but not so much (laughs) for you. And this is the kind of thing that wipes you out a lot even when you're not trying to write a novel on a ridiculous deadline. So how did that go? At some points, doing NaNoWriMo was actually helpful Mm -hmm. uh, because I've got some hardcore extroverts in my family um, and I am an extreme introvert. Mm. So I absolutely used the excuse of, sorry, I have to go to a cafe and write my novel uh, to get some me time. Mm -hmm. And coincidentally, I got some time with my novel, just not enough of it. Uh, but it has definitely hit my ability to get words out hard yeah. over this week. It is really hard to be focused on your writing when the only writing time you've got is also the time that you're using to escape from and recharge after dealing with lots and lots of intense social stuff, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, one of the big pieces of homework for this week, which I did not do, mm. uh, was to have a 6,000 word writing day, which is supposed to be like a really great boost mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. getting through NaNoWriMo. So so having a job and a social life and a family sort of got in the way of that. Yeah, the homework for this week was to pick a day where you're not working or where for totally undisclosed reasons, you can fit in three two hour blocks, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. And then in each of those blocks, you do three 30 minute sprints separated by 10 minute breaks. And like that honestly sounds like a pretty good strategy for most people if you have a day where you can have that much uninterrupted time. Yeah, it it sounds like it would be a good strategy for me, um, but I was not able to attempt it on account of spending most of my weekend on the Hume Highway. While the Hume Highway did inspire Courtney Barnett to write a song about roadkill, I am not aware of it being that kind to novelists. No, no, it was not. So there were three other bits of advice in here that I think are useful for banishing your inner editor who who might crop up this week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We actually accidentally covered two of these last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, So advice number one is if your editor is getting noisy, just break something to show them who's boss. This is uh, this is related to my advice from, I think, last week, where you have a character with a sword try to solve a problem that definitely does not need a sword. 
and in fact might be made worse by a sword solution. Yes. The book also suggests killing off one of your romantic leads. Do not do this if you're writing a romance. <laughs> you will get killed and eaten by the romance fans. I can tell you that for free. But yeah, it's the same theory. Like, yeah, same theory applies. Seriously yeah, yeah, yeah. break something about mm. your plot. <laughs> Suddenly it's a murder mystery. Yep. You can edit it back into a murder mystery after the end of the month. At the end of the month and not before, yes. The other bit of advice here is to make a pact with yourself to, like, eventually destroy all evidence of this novel ever existing. Yes, and I do recall you saying that you had promised yourself that you would never need to look at this NaNoWriMo ever again after November, which seems like the natural continuation of this coping mechanism. Don't do that. Like, I <laughs> even if you think it's shit, hang on to it. Let it sit for six months, even if you don't ever go back and finish it and turn it into like a polished novel you'll still find some benefit in there i really i really regret uh deleting some of the really shithouse novels i wrote when i was a teenager because like looking back i'm like i'm pretty sure there were good concepts or like ideas or it would have been at least interesting to like track my growth as a Mm. writer compared to what i'm turning out this year or last year um but you know if this is the only way you can cope whatever it's your problem not mine it's maybe a promise you make to yourself in the moment and then you can reevaluate at the end of the month exactly and that leaves the final bit of advice which we haven't accidentally already covered in a previous episode yes uh, which is to go small Mm. so this advice is if you're feeling like your plot isn't cutting it write around the edge of your story Mm. so write in a lot of detail about something inconsequential outside your protagonist's house for example Yeah, so this is actually a really useful exercise and not only for bulking up word count. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, what with being a human being and all, but human beings are all wired slightly differently from each other and we all tend to see the world in like slightly different ways or we notice different things or we give different things different levels of importance to other people. So what your point of view character notices and thinks is important enough to spend time describing in the text of your story tells the audience something about them. So this is a great way to not only like world build or describe things, but also you can use this as a tool to reveal character, right? If you have multiple points of view, you can use this as a way to contrast characters and contrast the way they view particular situations. Like even very simple stuff like, um, I don't know, say there's two different characters and they've both met someone with notable blue eyes. One of those characters calls them sky blue eyes. The other character calls them ice blue eyes. Same color, very different vibes, right? Yeah, so I've heard of this as describing how, like, for example, characters with different class backgrounds Mm. might view something. Absolutely. So, for example, uh, if you're doing a a period romance Mm -hmm. and one of the implausible thousands of dukes who appears in these uh, might walk into a room and notice that the carpet is no longer fashionable. Yeah. But your peasant pretending to be an aristocrat, love interest might notice how the carpet is just so fucking soft. Oh, yeah. Or, like, uh, if depending on what type of peasant they are, if they're from, like, a sheep farming family, they would be like, Jesus Christ, this is our entire three years of output has gone into this one carpet. Oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of people and things, one of the exercises this week was, in fact, called People and Things. And uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, this, like, person and things game is to go out and people watch and then write down everything you notice or guess about a person before they walk out of sight and then open the newspaper to a random thing and write about how it's important to this person who you've just written down. 
Yeah, I didn't like this. It felt really artificial and I was kind of wondering if, uh, well, here's the thing. Have you ever considered just talking to people like a normal human? No, no, I have not. I don't know what I expected, honestly. Fair enough. I <laughs> um, uh, forgot who I was talking to for a minute there. The other task is to uh, to make a map. There are some really cool map making things you can do for inspiration. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they work best at the planning stage, not when you're like halfway through your novel. Yeah, this really feels like a tool for procrastination. Uh, mm. This feels like a great way to send yourself down some rabbit holes of researching cartography or looking up different map making tools and not actually writing the goddamn book. And that's exactly what happened to me when I tried to take this <laughs> advice. I spent about 12 hours looking up different map making softwares and zero time actually using any of the information included in that map in my novel. Mm-hmm. So that uh, sums up no plot, no problem advice week three, which is... um increasingly uh, out of touch with our personal NaNoWriMo experiences, but fortunately there are more people in this book than just Chris Beatty, so it wasn't a complete wash. Yeah, what I'm finding really comforting about reading this during NaNoWriMo uh, is not so much the direct advice, uh, but reading through the diversity of NaNoWriMo experiences that he quotes. Like, I'm way behind, uh, but one mm. of the first examples in the book is a guy who always does most of his writing in the last three days, and right. so I keep going. Exactly, yes. Now, one of the things that you asked me off mic before we started recording this was whether I had any particular plans for how I was going to get my word count up to 50,000 words. And then I completely forgot to actually say this in the episode when you asked me again on mic. So now I'm going to talk about... Uh, are you familiar with the uh, Yerkes Dodson law? No, and I'm not convinced you didn't just make that up on the spot. <laughs> um, I know that Yerkes sounds like a parasitic brain slug from outer space, but it is a real thing. It's I didn't make it up. It's a psychology thing. It's a, a real, actual law. It's not replicable. It is not uh, in. It is not peer reviewed. It is not in any of the reputable journals. But it is a real law. Is this the kind of law that has so many exceptions that it's really more of a suggestion? Yes, exactly. You're, you're understanding perfectly. Um, so basically this guy named Yerkes and another guy named Dodson did some stuff to some mice that would probably not pass a modern ethics board in an effort to study the relationship between stress and performance. And what they found is that uh, basically as stress increases, performance on tasks also increases until you get too stressed and your performance suddenly plummets. So that has been partially true to my experience, although it is definitely not validated in the literature. So my strategy currently is to let the deadline get closer and then use the encroaching panic it generates to write a large number of words extremely quickly. This sounds like an excellent way to preserve your mental health. What are you, my therapist? He said the same thing. (laughs) How about you? What's your strategy? Uh, Well, so I've been keeping my powder dry. I've been trying to stay well rested and get enough sleep. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to sort of keep work and writing and life reasonably balanced. I have noticed you doing that. It's been very obnoxious of you to be so healthy with your habits. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, now is the time to burn it all down. I'm going to blow up that powder I've been keeping dry. So I'm going to be really strict about hitting my daily word counts, no matter how long in the night it takes me Mm -hmm. to get there. On the days I won't be working, of which there are three before the end of the month, 
I'm going to try and make those into 6,000 word days. Um, and also the only obligation I have between now and the end of NaNoWriMo outside of work and staying alive is next week's episode. So I might finally have clear decks to just really focus on noveling. In the interests of prioritizing our writing and increasing our chances of hitting 50,000 words, I am going to forewarn our hypothetical listeners now. Our next episode might be a teeny weeny itty bitty little bit delayed. Yeah, and it also might be good to like do our, our looking back on week four after we've actually like finished week four. Which is the end of NaNoWriMo. As much as I do want to record us both having simultaneous nervous breakdowns and put that on the internet for posterity, uh, it does feel like a more productive use of the time might be finishing the goddamn book. So uh, in the meantime, I think that means we've got to go right now. Yeah. God damn it. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Going Prose is hosted by A.D. Ellicott and C.Z. Tax. Our intro and outro music was by Nathan J. Phillips. For more information on the podcast, including where to find us on social media, visit cztax.com slash podcast or check the episode notes. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal people. 